Hello and welcome to another bonus edition of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged man playing adventure game books out loud on the internet. That middle-aged man is me, Hieronymus J. Doom, and this episode is made possible because a few people are kind enough to support me at patreon.com hjdoom. Their generosity means more content for everyone, and this episode I want to especially thank Ray Otis and Lubin Rains, who have both increased their pledge. Thanks so much for your support. As I am currently a full-time student and my free time is increasingly precious, your support is so important in making this show possible at all, but these bonus episodes possible in particular. Now, the eagle-eared... Do eagles have ears? I imagine so. The eagle-eared among you will have detected that this is a bonus episode on top of a bonus episode. You may be wondering where your regular fighting fantasy book is. Fear not, I am still committed to doing a main episode this month, but something came up that I simply had to cover, and a bit more money coming in seemed like the perfect excuse to do a double bonus episode month, which is just crazy. I was recently involved in a brilliant project to create an RPG supplement based on my current hometown of Northampton, a version of Northampton set 8,000 years in the future. This project was run by the creator of the solar punk RPG Lost Aeons and internationally renowned artist David Blandy in collaboration with NN Contemporary Art, which is Northampton's premier contemporary art space. I've been to a number of their shows and They've always curated really, really interesting experiences. And to move into a kind of performative space with RPGs was was very exciting. So a group of people from Northampton came together with David to create a supplement for the Lost Aeons game as part of two game jams, which were recorded as, I guess, a kind of performance art piece. Along with a fantastic group of people, I helped design the Land of Iron supplement. It's a wonderful post-apocalyptic setting which reimagines the town's radically changed landscape in ways that are fantastical, whimsical and satirical. And I think there's something lovely about having this highly post-apocalyptic theme, but doing it in a way that really doesn't reference things like Fallout or Mad Max. It's very, very much more optimistic and very much more weird about the possibilities of what the post-climate apocalyptic future might eventually look like. And that project blossomed from a small pamphlet to something quite ambitious, and we've ended up with a book that contains enough material to run a complete campaign, and I think it's, it's tremendous. I was so happy to be a part of it, and I'm really proud of what we accomplished together. Now, the best part is that Lost Aeons, Land of Iron, is free. It's freely available from nn.librarystack.org. Now, you will need to register to download a copy, but it doesn't cost a penny. And I think there's some stuff in this campaign booklet that you can pillage for almost any gaming group, even if you don't want to play in our strangely reimagined Northampton. There's just some really, really fantastic stuff in there. Now, David Blandy is also in the middle of writing a solo game version of his Lost Aeon setting, and I've agreed to playtest it. I've been wanting to cover the idea of a solo RPG for a while, and this seemed like a perfect opportunity. Going back to games like Tunnels and Trolls, there's always been an attempt to try and 
create something that's a bit more like a traditional RPG experience you can do on your own. And in recent years, the community at large seem to have settled on journaling games as being the best way of doing that. They've really exploded in popularity and they offer a fascinating midway point between the game book and the traditional RPG. So I'm going to do a very short example of how to play this early version of Lost Aeons. So why not join me for a journey into the weird world of the post-climate apocalypse? As I said, Lost Aeons is a solar punk game about the world 8,000 years into the future. And it's very much a world in which magic or psychic powers are more present. The solo game involves writing journal entries using a combination of dice and a deck of cards to generate writing prompts. You still resolve encounters by using dice. You use two sets of dice. One pair of d8s represents the world. One pair of dice represents your character. And these dice will be a d6 and another dice, which depends on your skill level for the task. It could be from d4 to as high as a d10. Now, if your highest dice beats the world's highest dice, then you succeed. If your highest dice beats the world's lowest dice, then you succeed, but there's a complication. And if you don't beat either dice, then you fail with a complication. I'll introduce the systems as they occur, but I pre-generated my character and some material ahead of time, which I'm just going to talk through. So they live at the start of the adventure in an underground haven where their society has developed over eight millennia of isolation. My character is called Melrose Q Business and they come from a haven called The Order. So I roll a couple of d10s to generate Melrose's personality and experience and these are the core traits which Melrose can call on to defeat challenges. So their personality trait is reflexes they respond quickly to events, but may act rashly. And their experience trait is also reflexes. So Melrose has clearly honed both their speed and their impetuosity over many years. So in concrete terms, I think that means that when Melrose needs to act fast, they're going to be rolling a d6 and a d10 to resolve that, because they really are kind of a one-note character. That's just how the dice have made them. And I've also generated the Haven using some similar tables and generated a journal entry describing the situation at the outset of our adventure. Queen Hizar is only a child, but she speaks with the voice of the humming gods, and all must be as she wishes in the perfect harmony of the Order. The Order, where humans sleep in hexagonal pods in imitation of the sacred bee and wasp. The great library of lost technology is maintained by solemn priests, but by sacred decree, those who know the secrets of nuclear power, of electrical circuits, of biomechanical feedback loops, must never use their knowledge. So quantum physicists and electrical engineers work by the light of guttering candles and sing the unending hymns to the insect god who speaks through the mouth of a child. Now tragedy has struck. The haven is breached and the world outside, so long forbidden, has intruded on our perfect solitude. Queen Hizar has decreed a great outing will be undertaken to survey this outside world and claim it as part of the everlasting order. Melrose Q Business, impetuous as ever, has volunteered to act as part of her bodyguard as she tours the outside to bring the infidels the wisdom of the bee and the wasp. So, that's the setting. All of that was generated by writing prompts created using 
dice and it's really quite easy to take those prompts and turn them into something interesting. They all suggest different things. You get these random elements and it's up to you to sort of stitch them together in a way that makes narrative sense. So let's find out what awaits us in the outside world. So the way it works is you get four stacks of cards, ordinary playing cards, and they're arranged into suits. So you can draw randomly from each suit. And that defines the encounter according to various tables. So when we leave the haven, we're going to be drawing cards as follows. We'll, we'll draw a location, and that's the, uh, the spades. So I drew a 10, which is a lake, a fathomless lake of still water. Then we need to have a being, someone with which we could potentially interact. And that's from the stack of clubs. And I drew an 8, which is a sage gathering herbs. We draw another spade to determine the atmosphere of the location, which is twisted, and another club to determine the appearance of the area, which is four suggesting children or saplings. Then we draw a heart and a diamond to describe the being, in this case the sage. He, she, they or it is associated with slimy scales and talons. That's quite a, a good visual image. So then I needed to create a journal to make sense of these prompts. And this is what I have. Water seeps into the haven from a vast lake, full to overflowing. Was it here when the arcology was delved? It seems unlikely. Probably something much less threatening was there. But the world has changed. Queen Hizar and her drone knights stride boldly out into the world. But Melrose Q Business runs ahead, eager to scout the way for his queen. In the hype of elevation, this is a young place. Saplings are spread around the circumference of the lake like a green palisade. They are vibrantly hued, almost luminescent. Perhaps we should have brought the knowledge weavers from the library with us, but what would have been the point? Even if they knew what this effulgent green sapling meant, they would never tell. They would simply nod to each other in agreement and mumble scientific catechisms to each other. A weird creature tends the saplings. A dragon lady wreathed in sheets of shimmering weed cuts plants and mushrooms from around the base of the saplings with her razor-sharp talons. Now once we've generated the environment, we now need to create an event which changes the situation, and it's that that brings in the sense of drama, and that which gives us a problem which we need to resolve, or something interesting. So we then take the heart that we drew earlier, the same card which we put to one side, and that tells us that there's a wildfire that started and is approaching. And the diamond card tells us that there's also a tiny wooden carving that's present and important. We also generate the sage's response to us, and that's a just a straight 2d6 roll, and the higher is more favourable. We get a 10 indicating that the sage is friendly, so with those prompts in mind, I can journal a way in which these elements again brought together. So, the dragon sage begs for our help. The radiation trees are a precious resource for her tribe. Herbs and mushrooms harvested from around their roots have special properties. She shows us the tiny wooden idol of her tribe and promises safe passage if we can deal with the raging inferno approaching the site. If there's one thing a bunch of people who worship bees are good at, it's working together. So I think I need to roll to see how the queen reacts and how well we deal with the problem of the fire. The queen is mercurial, only a child, uh, but she does have this entire populace of the haven to draw on as a resource. So I'm going to give the queen a d6 and a d8 to roll against the world's 2d8 to find out how this situation might be resolved. 
the world rolls a seven and a five, while the queen rolls a five and a three. So that means her highest dice is equal to the world's lowest dice. So that means we succeed just, but with a complication. So I've journaled that as follows. The queen will help. Melrose pipes up immediately. To think the thought is to say the thought for this rash youth. The dragon sage's yellow eyes well up with tears. To think that strangers would offer help so readily in these suspicious times. Safe passage I will grant to thee with this token of my tribe, the carven effigy of the nuclear king on his throne of plutonium. The queen is less impressed with Melrose's can-do attitude. To make decisions on behalf of the prophet of the humming gods might be considered treason. Yet she is bound by a promise made, so sets the haven to work. Workers with buckets form snaking chains of moving water to be flung defiantly into the face of the flame. Diggers dig a deep trench, spading earth like machines of the forgotten past, erecting a rampart of sod between the fire and the glowing saplings. The grove is saved. The dragon sage offers up her token in thanks. The queen accepts it, but gives it to Melrose and not as a happy gift. The sentence of banishment is pronounced. Unhappy Melrose will have more need of safe passage than she. The queen will return to the haven to direct the shoring up of the sodden roofs. Melrose will return when their shame is expurgated, and a suitable gift is found to allay the wrath of the chosen prophet of bee and wasp. Only the secret of honey, long lost to the haven, will allow them to rejoin their sacred order. Okay, so... These early journal entries were pre-written before the recording because there's quite a bit of rule stuff I needed to get my head around. But what I'm going to do now is a live encounter to see what happens to our luckless uh, but always optimistic protagonist. And I hope this might serve as an example of the kind of ways you might approach a journaling-based game if you've never tried one. So uh, this will be a bit more disjointed because I'm working as I go. There's going to be quite a heavy cognitive load on me as I try and generate ideas and talk to you about them at the same time. So do bear with me. This is obviously an incredibly stupid idea on many levels. So um, Melrose is setting off and we mark the passage of time by adding dice to a pool. That's not particularly important, but by drawing an event card, which is from the heart stack. I've drawn the three of hearts. Um, which indicates a wave of radiation, nausea, and food spoils. I think it's it's pretty easy to see how that particular event would be tied in to the event that's just gone. That's a really happy accident. So I would journal that foolish Melrose decided on embarking to grab some of the tasty-looking mushrooms from beneath the gently glowing saplings and take them with them, eating a few as they go. But of course, Melrose is a haven dweller, not hardened to the radiation that blights the outside world. And so sickness overtakes them, a bout of retching causes them to fall to the ground. And I'm going to say that Melrose has taken effectively a point of damage. There's a status-based damage system in this game. So there's four statuses, dazed, scarred, down, or dead. And so Melrose has gone to dazed, and that seems entirely appropriate. They're feeling 
very confused, very queasy, wandering apparently at random. So now let's generate uh, another full encounter. We're generating the encounter and we draw a three of spades. So that is a deep forest, ancient, dark and mysterious. We generate a being to inhabit it and it's going to be a family who welcomes us. That's uh, the ace of clubs and we need a an appearance for the area, fish or birds, an atmosphere for the area which is rotting or growing, and the family, what are they like? They are, so they have a rocky hide and claws. Okay, so I think I'm going to decide that this family is part of the same tribe that the dragon sage was part of and that they are much older than the dragon sage and as this this group of people ages their skin becomes rockier and thicker they become less and less mobile but more and more impervious to harm and in this part of the deep forest they've grown the same radiation tainted trees as have been planted around the lake and these trees are now old as old as the family are old and they've started rotting and decaying and littering the ground with all manner of strange and unusual fungi that are and definitely not good to eat for humans and that large gull-like birds come swooping down to, to fight amongst themselves over these scraps of decaying matter that litter the floor of the forest. And the family welcomes me because I have the idol that provides safe passage to their tribe. So we now need to work out what kind of event might occur. And this is perfect because I've generated a huge flying creature which is protecting their nest and in terms of things there's some kind of armor with a history so let's have a think about how we might bring those two features together now the birds makes tremendous sense one particularly big and powerful pterodactyl uh, kind of a cross between a pterodactyl and a gull has set this place up as its particular lair and is tearing the tree apart to make a nest and this is the tree that the family still relies on for their subsistence level existence even though it's old and decayed they still need the radiation infused bounty it's sort of their way of farming and this pterodactyl gull by making its nest there is is threatening that and because these uh, ancient dragon people their their rocky hide is so thick that they're never going to be able to climb up the decaying tree to try and chase this this pterodactyl off the perch but if melrose is prepared to help them deal with this then they will lever off some of their scales and beat them into a shield that melrose can take on their travels and offer tremendous protection from all sorts of things, including radiation, I'm going to say, because Melrose got really, really sick. So kind of armor and a shield made from their scales is, is going to be a kind of crude radiation suit because these people have evolved to require radiation as part of their diet. I guess they're sort of like mini Godzillas in that respect. 
that they don't consume radiation directly, but they have to consume it by, by eating things like the tree that have been tainted by radiation. So yeah, that sounds really exciting. So we've now taken all of those elements and we've, we've turned them into an encounter we can resolve using the dice. Melrose is going to shimmy up the tree and try and deal with this Terragol. And he's not necessarily going to try and kill it because he's a kind-hearted soul. He doesn't mind, but he's going to try and break apart the Terragol's nest and hope that it will then leave the tree alone and go off somewhere else. So we're going to break that down into two rolls, I think. One for them to shimmy up the tree and based on that, we'll we'll look at the other roles. Let's see how, how Melrose does shimmying up the tree. So the world gets 2d8, so that's a 4 and a 7. Melrose gets a d6 and a d10, because um, this is something where acting really quickly will give them a considerable ad- advantage. So that's a 5 and a 6. So they beat the world's second die, so they succeed with a complication what would be an interesting complication for this scene uh, they climb up i'm gonna say but whilst shimmying up at speed they they drop the idol that gets them safe passage through the godzilla people's area and it being tiny they don't notice they've dropped it so that could create some interesting problems when they next meet people from this tribe when they think they're going to be able to get through it using the eyeball but can't. The success means that they catch the Terragol unawares and they can start trying to uh, pull apart the Terragol's nest. And that means that, that for the world, we'll roll a d6 and a d8, getting a 4 and a 6. And Melrose gets their usual d6 and d10. And they get a 2 and a 6, meaning that they rolled equal to the highest dice. So that means they, they succeed. And I don't think we'll, we'll do a, com- a particular... We could do a complication on an equal, but we won't. We'll do just a straightforward success. So I would then journal about how Melrose uses their speed and their alertness to really just pull apart this, this giant Terragol's nest and throw it down. And the Terragol is, is a young bird drawn by the power of the radiation that permeates this land and just capitulates and flies off to find an easier nesting site that's less well defended. This means that Melrose can climb down and we could journal about how the Grateful family pull off their scales and we could do some nice description of that about how sort of disgusting it is to see the the raw pinkish slimy flesh underneath how it's like pulling off scabs as they take these scales off and beat them together to create this this radiation proof suit and that means that Melrose will never have to worry about radiation again in their further adventures but at the same time there's been a bit of a a dramatic twist in that Melrose has lost the idol and doesn't realize it so that's where we're going to stop this particular adventure um, this is only a, a playtest version of the rules. I don't want to go too deeply into it. But I hope that's given you some kind of idea about the kind of fun you can have with journaling games and the kind of fun you can have by taking a more active role 
in these book directed adventures i think it's a kind of gaming i would really really love to see grow i think it's not going to replace adventure game books in my heart and it's not going to replace tabletop rpgs in my heart but i really do think it's a wonderful way of bringing elements of both of those adventure systems into a harmonious whole there's a whole bunch of them to explore often very very cheap out on the internet i will probably be featuring this kind of gaming material a little bit more in the future let me know if you've enjoyed this if you think it's been an interesting and worthwhile experiment let me know if you think it's rubbish actually you're just here for the game book content if people feel that that's what this podcast's about who am i to gain say them i'm very happy to just focus on game books but i would quite like to throw in some of these journaling games there's a game called thousand year old vampire i've been simply itching to play which i think would create a really exciting and gothic adventure story that i think you might enjoy hearing me develop as i say this is a bonus bonus episode it is intentionally a little bit more loose than some of the other episodes i've recorded if you've enjoyed it if this setting has piqued your interest do check out the lost aeons game you do not need a copy of the lost aeons game to run the land of iron supplement there is a quick start set of rules at the beginning but it is intentionally quite system agnostic i don't think in all honesty if i was going to run it I'd be running it using the system provided. No shade on that system. I think I would just rather design a bespoke system from the ground up that suits my own gaming prejudices. That's just me. But it was a really, really brilliant project to be a part of. I had such a good time doing it. If some other people have have a good time, like even just reading the supplement, then you know that's going to make me incredibly happy. Thanks once again to David Blandy for giving me permission to do this playthrough of the solo game rules. There will be, I'm sure, some additional design work done on them before they make it out into the world. But even just based on this playtest version, I had a lot of fun doing it. I think I've got a few suggestions I might make, but essentially I had a really good time. Next episode, which I do promise will be later this month. We will be back to our standard fighting fantasy gamebook experience. And one of the advantages of doing these bonus episodes for myself is it makes me look forward to coming back to fighting fantasy all the more. So I hope you'll join me then. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not leave a rating or a review? It's not compulsory, obviously. It just helps. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you again soon.